and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. This episode, we have Sasha Cullen, Head of Weddings at the Savoy, to talk to us about the position of weddings in the events industry and to tell us a bit more about catering to social clients. Unless you are in weddings, you don't understand how big our industry is, but it's absolutely huge. We also have a new segment called Inside the Showcase. Ben Parker from Hirespace is on to tell us about his favourite showcase from the last quarter. I didn't realise that Switzerland was such a, a good destination for events. But first, coming up on the News Digest, some discussion on the content survey from Event Lab and on tendering, as Charlotte Gentry, Richard Groves and Edward Poland sit down for another great bit of News Digest. Evening, everyone. Good evening, Ed. Evening, Ed. We have Charlotte Gentry, Bureau Hi, Events. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Great. Richard Groves. Smart. Oh, evening, how are you? Really good. Um, health check, guys. We're halfway through the events, Christmas, hectic season. We're halfway through the planning, but very, very close to the um, beginning of the delivery. I would imagine it's probably a lot worse for you than it is for us, being sort of on the ground in numerous venues. Mm. Yeah, it's extraordinary. We, we start building our first big Christmas set next weekend, which is the oh, 16th crikey. of November. Energy level still good? So far. I think our teams seem to be sprightly, and I don't suspect they won't be come the 20th of December. So we did a big survey of everyone who came to Event Lab. We had about 250 people, in fact, who responded to the survey. And essentially, we were asking them, all events professionals, primarily corporates, but agencies, marketing agencies, events agencies, associations, some venues, some suppliers. We asked them what content they wanted to see from Event Lab in 2020. Essentially, some really interesting results. I thought we'd go through them and see um, see whether these surprised you, whether they reinforced what you already knew. Um, it's really interesting stuff. N- number one, guess what was number one? What do people want to hear about events professionals more than anything else in 2020? Locations. New location, venues. location, location. <laughs> new venues, you knew. Yes. Venue recommendations remains the number one thing that any events professional wants to, wants to hear about from Event Lab. I think that's highly unsurprising, mm, really. Everybody comes to us and says, where's someone new? We found the perfect venue last year, the most unique, amazing place. Now find me another one. Yeah, exactly. How do we make it different? How do we find somewhere that's within our slightly reduced budget from <laughs> um, this year to next year and make it doubly as special and equally as unique? Do we think that the way people are sourcing venues is is changing? I remember at Event Lab there was one panel discussion. Can't remember which one it was, but the, the panel asked the audience how they currently be how they're currently inspired by uh, in, in, inspired to source venues. And number one was Instagram, which I was quite cool. surprised about. Wow. Over agencies, over marketplaces, over traditional agencies, even over Google. Hmm. Because I, I remember many years ago, um, venues used to be um, not as well marketed as they are now. And they used, people used to come to caterers and say, I want to have a dinner for 300 people, where shall I go? And then we could recommend. And then it all swapped around the other way and they had Square Meal and, and Venue Search London and lots of the search agencies came in and the magazines. Um, and then people had to get their own portfolios together and then used to contact the caterers on the back of that. The way of marketing venues has changed considerably. Well, I think, I mean, it comes down to the impact that social media has on business in general, doesn't it, really? Um, and it's just growing and growing and growing. I mean, I, I looked at an industry report on social media alone. Um, 91% are choosing to advertise on Facebook. So social media was number three. So that was the third most popular yeah. content the that people wanted to see. Second was second was event design. So we had the, the 30 or so things. Second was event design. Which is um, also, you know, again, people are trying to 
understand ways. Um, I, I find that a lot of people don't really understand that much about production, yeah, well, and that's essentially what event design is. That, that, I think it'd be really useful for, for, for those that don't know the the kind of concept. What, what what exactly do we mean by what exactly is event design? Well, it's if you um, if you take um, if you take if you consider the venue to be the box. Um, that you then produce the event inside of that box. So it's what what are you actually producing inside of that box, which is the venue, um, and it's that experience basically. So event design is everything from the ambiance, lighting, music, sound, uh, theme, um, props. It's taking an idea and a theme and bringing that theme to life inside of that venue um, and uh, and designing that event. And, that, and that's largely production-based. Yes, and I think it's it's split into the sort of more holistic, subjective level, like things like the five senses. So is it warm? Does mm. it smell nice? Um, what When you touch things, is it nice and soft? Is it supposed to be? Or is it cold when it's supposed to be? Um, does it taste good? And those sort of things. But also then that is then has to be backed up by the event production, which comes as part of it, because you can't have the design without the production behind it. So you've got an amazing ice bar but you need someone to light it and you need someone to get it in and make sure the drain works and all those sort of things. So it, I think it wraps up the whole experience of putting on an event. Well, is that what makes it new? Because is, is there any difference to, to, to classic event? I mean, I know it's a, it's a hot topic, but what, what, in what way is event design different to... Well, I think people... I don't know about you, Charlotte, but I think people are now looking for different experiences when they come in. So a, a food styling counter with live chef's action and that sort of thing is almost de rigueur now. You need someone carving a Spanish ham or you need someone making omelettes at breakfast time or whatever it is and just to show that something going on and show some kind of commitment to the whole feel and vibe of the event um, and the same with the bar you know you need mixologists and you need lots of ice wells and you need crushed ice and shards of ice and ice cubes and just lots of different touch points on it and that's all designed well, before it used to be an ice bucket and a few glasses and that, that was your lot you know, there's nothing worse than walking into, you can hire the most spectacular venue and it might cost you 20 grand to hire the Sartre Gallery and you know the art will do a certain amount for it as an example. But, um, you know, there's nothing worse than walking into a venue where the design really hasn't been considered at all and there's got it's got no soul. There are so many venues that are beautiful. If you don't do what you need to do to them and you don't design them, they've got no soul and, um, you, you know, your guests walk in and they just don't really feel and and taste the experience so the so the fourth one is is immersive experiences so that's all about interaction i mean that's that's all about how to create an elevated level of engagement um at an event um because you know everybody loves to use this word immersive well what does that actually mean it means you know as richard's saying with the food you know it's about that demonstrative experience um, and somebody sort of spraying avocado mousse down your arm or, you know, doing something a, a bit... <laughs> On purpose? Yeah. <laughs> doing something a bit weird and wacky. Um, but, you know, people will come away thinking, wow, that was amazing because I was able to experience this, this and this or I walked through some um, branded um, tunnel that, that sort of spoke AI to me, you know. It, so it's, it's about how to, you know, really come away understanding what the event was really about. Do you have, we need it to be immersive, is that a frequent? Oh, I mean, constantly. I mean, for us, I mean, almost every single client wants the event to be experiential in some way or another, and the, and the heightened level of engagement and interaction is absolutely key. And if we're then tendering into a process, we just simply won't get any further if we don't really include that in proposals, because that's what everybody's looking for. Hmm. 
And without being too partisan, the, the smart Christmas party product is fully immersive. So all the sets are 30 feet tall and we've got gondolas from the Alps in our Alpine theme venue in, at Magazine and we've got New York taxis and 20 dancers. It's just extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And people like that immersive angle because that is, that is different than anything they'd normally do in a commercial corporate event during the year. So it's just totally relaxation. Before this, you guys were saying that sustainability was a number one thing that your clients are talking to you about at the moment for 2020. That was up there. That came, that came sixth, actually, beaten by workplace culture. It's a conversation that keeps, mm. keeps coming up. It's quite a competitive industry. I don't, Charlotte, I don't know whether you're finding it hard to find the right people for the right jobs, but you have to give them a lively workspace, workspace to do it in. Totally. I mean, you know, the interview process anyway goes both ways these days very much. It's not, you know, it's no longer sort of, you know, the... Um, uh, the the interviewee sort of sitting sort of quaking in their boots and you know sort of desperate to get the job. I mean you know <clears throat> sell the dream. <laughs> yeah, you've got to you've really got to sell the reason why they should come and want to work for for your business. And um, you know there are plenty of companies that really haven't and really don't know what a good workplace culture actually feels and looks like. And unless you focus on that, you're never going to get the best people in the, in the industry really uh, because people will come and then they will last for a year and then they'll go somewhere else where they feel more valued and it's about it's it's about feeling feeling valued at the end of the day you've got to be extra careful i suppose in this industry because it's a stressful industry it's an industry where people yeah. work long hours don't, know, don't yeah. necessarily yeah. get paid the same as no, they so might you've got in... to treat them well you know we we, we have um, lunch every day and we've got a coffee machine and you know all the things you'd expect and i think it's it's the sort of the google office the californian offices with slides and ball pits and lounges and, and you've stuff. got slides and ball pits well no but they have and unfortunately we have to sort of slightly follow the lead like we um we work and th you know, those yeah. sort of buildings are all you know how many, how many free biscuits can you have in one day but it's all yeah, there but i get that but that's not value so to me, that's bells and whistles and that's throwing fluff and throwing money at a problem. But if you've got a, and, and I've experienced this within the advertising arena in terms of the clients that we work with, if you've got a bullying culture that emanates from the top down and therefore people aren't being treated well at work, you can throw all the, all the slides, all the biscuits in the world at people. But at the end of the day, they still come into work feeling undervalued and mm. miserable. So, um, you know, if you took all of that stuff away and you took away the ping pong table and, you know, all the rest of it, um, if you just praised people for the work that they did every day, that they do every day, um, and you know, put a structure in place where they know that they can talk about their their career journey, that works. That's much. That's so much more efficient than just throwing money at, mm. at a problem. Yeah. And respect how hard they're working yeah, and how well they're delivering for the yeah. company. Is this something you notice? Is, is, is there just a lot more conversation around? workplace culture than there, than there has been in the past or is it has it always been this way well i think it's more extreme than it has been before because people are being uh, there there are lots of opportunities um that people can go for and they will they'll pick and choose things you know like, like the culture what's the ceo like you know what's the office environment like and and, and do people look after you and respect what you do mm. as well as give you a free biscuit <laughs> yeah. brand strategy that was up there and I think that's something that people need to be educated more on. I, I think it's not, you know, even if you were to create content in a panel discussion on brand strategy, which actually we recently did at Evcom, which um, uh, very kindly, Ed, you um, ended up by chairing for us. Um, uh, you know, it's it, it's something that's it's very specific to each and every client and actually having that skill of really understanding strategically how to look at brand that's not something that's very easy just to deliver 
in a content capacity. Really interesting conversation there, the Evcon panel, and talking about how you make sure that a, a, an event represents the brand of the, the organisations that's hosted. Yeah. And there's so many ways that you can do that, and there's mm. so much you have to really... Event design. Yeah. Comes back to that, doesn't it? Yeah. What was bottom, Drekken? What was the thing that le- that people least wanted to, to hear about? Um, risk assessment. <laughs> <laughs> what was your risk assessment? But I think if we put that on, it would have been. What was your one? Health and safety. Health and safety. Uh, health and uh, regulation and compliance. So, but, <laughs> I, think <laughs> yeah. I think you're. I think you're. Well, I wonder where Brexit would have come if we'd put that, oh that my on there. God. <laughs> Hopefully, they won't be talking about that next year. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> All very interesting. And, and how do people want to hear it? How do people want to be delivered content? Do you think? What do you think is the, What do you think is the, is, is the way in which people most want to be delivered this content? Again, this was interactively. surprising. Interactively was second. Attending events. Oh, okay. I guess uh, this is... Uh, digitally? At all, uh, so specifically newsletters, still the main... Still the main oh, wow, I'm really surprised by that. E- e-newsletters or e-newsletters. pieces of paper. Yeah. E-newsletters. I was wow. quite surprised by that. Yeah, I was... Because well, yeah. they go into junk half the time and yeah. you've then got to spend time reading them, <laughs> which people don't have the time to do. <laughs> Attending events, speaker sessions are very, very close, very close second yeah. above all of the about fifteen ways in which they could have got events mm. were events were second. Um, white papers were the least. People talk about white papers a lot, but mm. okay, okay. Well, keep going with the newsletters then. Yeah, <laughs> keep the newsletters up. So um, let's talk about tendering because Charlotte, I know you've got you've got views on it. You, you guys do a lot of yeah a lot of tendering, Richard. You, you too. Um, I mean, this, this article describes it as a necessary evil for events agencies, venues and suppliers. How should you pick the right ones to apply for? How can you be sure that the application will even be considered in the first place? Is it a, is it a level playing ground? Is, 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 is tendering a fair process? I think it's I think it's really hard because unless you've got a relationship with, um, with the individual that you're actually tendering to um, or the company that you're tendering for and that you've actually engaged in some level of conversation or had a meeting with them in a part in the past my recommendation would almost be not really to bother because you can't um you know it's very hard to beat the incumbent Mm -hmm. who has been working with that company for a long period of time and will have a certain amount of intel that's a bit big statement are you saying if you don't know them already you don't have an established relationship don't Don't bother bother with the don't bother tendering don't 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 bother. bother pitching don't bother uh, because and, because and if the you know who the incumbent you, is, and you know they're well, good. yeah. If you know that they're decent and they're sort of within the top fifteen agencies out there, the chance of you winning it is very very slim. So you know, not because your ideas are, you could produce the most ama- incredible ideas on the planet. You then get invited in to present and have absolutely no cultural synergy with that company whatsoever. Mm. And for all purposes, there's a very high chance that they will think that your ideas are brilliant. But they're not. If, it, if it's certainly also if it's for one of their biggest events, they are never going to take the risk of handing a massive event to a company that they've never worked with before. They're likely to take the ideas and say to their incumbent, can you just deliver this? Mm. So, I mean, that's a massive risk. What's the that protection against that? I guess there's... well, it's, it's the IP, really. isn't it? I mean, if you give you all your ideas, and this is what we were talking about before we came to the studio, is how many, how much do you give in the first instance? Because you can you can write the most amazing proposal and give all your fantastic ideas. And if you're one of five, and you're pretty sure you're not going to get it because the incumbent didn't screw up the last time, what are they going to do with your information? Give it to the incumbent and say, "We'd like, we'd like something like this, please." Mm. But the same price as you did last year. It's very tempting to go for everything, um, and we got asked to do a really big tender that's going to cost thirty thousand pounds to put together and things. And we we kept asking them, "Is there any point? This person's done the catering for ten years. Why would you change?" 
Has it gone wrong? No. Are you happy with them? Yeah, fairly. Right. Okay. So what's this? Number crunching? Or is it just actually you are serious about putting this person on notice? And do they give you an honest answer? They, well, I, they did and they did actually change. Yes. But it was, um, you know, it, it looked very suspicious to begin with, thinking that this is, mm. they are just seeing what's out there. It's a benchmarking yeah, process. And, you know, I, I can do something that's 10 pages and doesn't cost very much money to give you an idea of what we do. But if I can spend £30,000 on it, I want to know that we're in with a really good shout on this. What, what, what are the criteria you look for, whether it's worth one that was worth going for or not? I think you just get a very good feeling. I mean, if we got a tender in from a company that we'd never worked for, uh, worked for before, um, we would obviously ask the relevant questions. I mean, with a, with a very big RFP, you get an opportunity to feedback and ask a whole load of questions. It's a very strict process that you go through anyway. And so you can ask, you know, how many agencies are in the process? Um, is there an incumbent? Um uh, you know what? What are, what are the primary drivers um, for for the decision making process and all the rest of it? And once you've got that information back, if they've got fifteen agencies in the process and you've if you've never really had a conversation with them, why put yourself through the pain? Because mm. it's just you know even if you got down to the top four, um, there's you know there's the, unless the incumbent's actually properly got something horribly wrong, there's just no way that somebody moves away from a company that they've worked with for for years unless they're either now pricing themselves out of the market mm. or, or or they've you know cocked up in some in some area or another you or know? someone who's come in into the process and said we want to change because yeah, i'm exactly. new in this job and i wanted to i wanted my image on this as well yeah no exactly and so, i wouldn't necessarily go for anything big and i'd be interested in what you think charlotte if you don't get a meeting first oh, because if they're 100%. not going to give you the time to go through it no, then no, no, no. you're not you're not interested because they are just sending out yeah. RSPs to everybody. So if you're a newer agency or a or smaller, what, what, how do you go about it? Do you, do you pitch for the smaller stuff first? or? Well, the, the other challenge is, if in, and I've actually been caught foul of this in the past, I was asked to pitch for a 3,000-person off-site for a law firm, which is what now the biggest law firm in the world, and um, against um, one of the biggest agencies in the world. And we got down, actually, it was us and the massive agency, um, and they had put it out to us about you know, 10 to 15 different agencies. However, the relationship that we had, and we'd done some work with them before, so we went into the process. They were never going to give us the piece of business because we were just too small as an agency for them ever to have given us the the cost of that one piece of business. They were never... Go- so in, when, you, when you get the RFI through, which is Request for Information, if, um, if there's information on there, you have to ask the question... Are we actually able mm. to win this piece of business to start with? Do you because trust us to do it? because if our um, turnover is the same or less than the actual value of the piece of business that you're giving us, you're never going to give it to us anyway. Mm. So you have to be quite strategic in in the questions that you ask. Mm. And if you get those sort of that sort of information sent to begin with, and you know why they're asking it, because what people don't like is either. The, the value of the event is more than your turnover or, mm. or it's going to be more than 50% or something. It's a bit like when we pitch for a new venue. If it it's so big as part of our overall turnover that it will destabilise us if we lose it or you know, we're just it's just too big for us to cope with, then they'll you'll get you're out of the running to begin with, which is actually a good thing because you're not then pitching for something you're never going to get. So ask the right questions. Is it, is it similar with as a caterer pitching for pitching for venue business? Yeah, there's um when you're going through a venue, so like the Naturalist Museum or the V&A um, have a showround with a prospective client and then you get the, the, get the event. Um, the, 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 the organiser then goes to get as many quotes as they want. And some venues have got 10 or 12 people on the list and I don't think they'll get 10 or 12 quotes, but they'll certainly get three or four. And if they don't get much leadership from the venue because they're being very even-handed over it, then they can just send out all these um, inquiries and, and we all send all our uh, 
proposals in. Same with production, same with floristry. And then they have to sort of read them and try and simulate what you're offering compared with someone else. And it's, it comes very personal and very subjective. And people just read probably the menus and see whether they fancy those because that's something they understand. And then they go through the pricing, which is a minefield because everybody quotes in a different way. And then you look at the production quote and you think, well, I don't understand any of this and I don't know why I'm, whether I've got to spend 30 or mm. 45,000 pounds, but they tell me I have to. And I think a lot of people actually um, that are receiving proposals, especially if they've got 10 in the process, that they're just not reading the content. Mm. I mean, we've done pitches where you just think, you know, where, they, where the feedback that they've given us as to why we haven't won um, the contract has been completely the opposite to the brief that was given to us in the first place. And and you just know that they've basically benchmarked, fudged it, and then had to come up with some kind of an excuse as to why we didn't win the job. But, you know, the reasons that they're giving us have had nothing to do with the brief whatsoever. Really interesting topic. Love to hear from some corporates listening and whether they whether they agree with 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 what's been what what's been put forward today and why why have a tendering process if you're not going to give everyone a, a fair chance um guys we are out of time Aww. oh that was well, you quick. just started <laughs> flying by hasn't it yeah. what are you most excited about christmas run out christmas run up run up it's how all the venues that we've sold that don't exist at the moment in in, in the form that they will do in two weeks time will pan out and, and the excitement of the people that are trusting us to deliver that marquee that doesn't exist at the moment or that that venue that we're putting a false floor into it's just making it live from what we've been selling as a vr Talking process about. for the last nine months christmas is just such a happy time and you know for us i wouldn't say that um any of the christmas events that we do are particularly revolutionary because we don't often get we, we do christmas events now for our clients as something that we do for our clients because we do other stuff for our clients it's not a, usually a standalone scenario so um it's lovely watching everybody just having just letting their hair down really at the end of the year and having a great time and um, i'm really really looking forward to our own christmas party this year because everyone's worked so phenomenally hard and actually we've had an amazing year this year and, and grown 20 percent, which is you know quite surprising really? Really? um in in this climate so you know that's um worth celebrating hey, guys thanks very much See Thanks you back a lot, in a fortnight. Yep. Great. Fantastic. Enjoy. Thanks again to the News Digest team. Once again, don't forget that you can email in any questions for our News Digest team. They're the experts, so they're the ones to ask. Next up, Head of Weddings at the Savoy, Sasha Cohen, sits down with me to discuss the position of weddings in the industry. Sasha, thank you so much for coming in. Hi, hi, hi. How, how have you been? Really well. Slightly cold outside, but I love the winter. Getting ready for holiday. Uh, jealous you've just come back actually but getting me in the holiday spirit so yeah really well been really looking forward to having you because uh, we've sort of said for a while that we wanted a, a bit more of a voice uh for for the wedding, the wedding side wedding of things world. yeah <laughs> exactly because um because sometimes it gets sort of categorized out out, yeah. out a bit and it's um yeah we we definitely wanted to because it's such a big part of the industry is i think i saw that is it 10 billion a year just the um just the uk just market the UK market i mean honestly i, th- I think it's absolutely astonishing how much money is made in, in weddings you know in the industry as a whole so no it doesn't surprise me at all when uh, we go to sort of seminars and things the statistics that we see are just absolutely shell shocking so yeah you're the head of weddings for one of the world's most famous hotels um, but you haven't always been based in weddings it's funny actually because I got, I got asked this the other day and I thought 
compared to a lot of my friends that are in the wedding industry, a lot of us have just kind of fallen into it. Um, I've got friends that are bankers that just, I don't know, did their own wedding or their best friend's wedding, you know, when J-Lo was coming out. <laughs> um, but I actually started in weddings. So my first wedding was in the Ice Chapel in Lapland. Oh, wow. Um, which is crazy. Um, is that just um, just remind me? Is that the one where it's it's literally all literally ice? Literally all ice. Wow, yeah. So the yeah. whole hotel is made every single year. Uh, there's a documentary about it actually, which is really interesting. And what was it called? Um, well, it's just called the Ice Chapel near okay. Kitler. Um, so yeah, just north of Helsinki, uh, in like the Arctic circles. It's so so cold. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was my first taste of it. I sort of had a bit of a gap year. Did some skiing in Austria. Got this job in um, Finland, and yeah, we're sort of chucked in at the deep end shall we say but it really taught me the extremes really of event management of how to deal with um, you know being in a foreign country dealing with uh, people that potentially don't speak English dealing with Brits abroad which is always <laughs> the uh, topic of conversation because we are a nightmare um, and then obviously putting an emo- emotion and weddings and it is so cold it didn't help me really because I went from I, I lived there for about two months did weddings on snowmobiles and little teepees in the ice chapel reindeers galore <laughs> Um, and then I decided to go to Cyprus. So <laughs> I had complete opposite. Yeah, complete um, change. Yeah, complete change. And it's funny because someone asked me this question the other day and I, it really takes me back to the time when I was sat on my balcony. I was sort of discussing an interview with a headhunter and he'd said to me, look, where do you see yourself in five years? And to be honest, I said, when I'm really old, imagine if you know I worked at the Savoy. <laughs> and it is madness that five years later... I'm at the Savoy. So yeah, that's where it all began. You've got a really good grasp of the the wedding portion of the market. Where do you think it fits into the event industry as sort of like a greater market? You know, I think because I initially started in weddings, but then my sort of main focus when I came back to the UK was on the social side. So it was more, you know, leadership conferences, away days, leisure days, you know, I was taking people to farms and doing segues. So I've always been in the social spectrum and moving to London even more so, apart from the agencies we were dealing with, the corporate market is just gigantic absolutely gigantic and you think about um you know something like delegate wranglers like you know what's sort of come about out of nowhere um and how much business is created not just through independent freelance uh, event professionals but obviously all the venues that are doing all this business but i do still think that unless you are in weddings you don't understand how big our industry is but it's absolutely huge I mean my little pocket of weddings in North Yorkshire we were all doing a bit of everything you know one day I was doing a wedding then I'd have a conference it was all so different but the market in London is absolutely crazy and what I love the most about it is my ideas are always over the top you know because our clients need that they need inspiration and ideas and when they come to me and we talk about things I think you know all these things I could source in London because we've just got the most weird and wonderful suppliers here and yeah. anything is possible. Yeah. And I think when you work in events, that is what is incredible. So no, I'd say weddings is a massive part of it, but it's not the pinnacle of what corporate is. I mean, corporate is huge. Um, I don't think it gets enough attention as, as it needs to. I think, you know, hush, hush, you know, the sort of conversation about wages and wage transparency throughout the industry. Weddings definitely don't get paid as much as corporate market because obviously the big corporate dogs are not conscious of budget there's no emotion in it so you know there's a lot more demand there but 
weddings, especially for the international market, everyone's coming here to get married, but all the Brits are going abroad. So, <laughs> yeah, that's sort of where we are at the moment. I speak to a lot of venue managers at the moment, especially in the last year or so, mm-hmm. who've really been trying to break in and do a bit more weddings, because I think yeah. there has been this focus for a long time on, on the corporate side, but they're now trying to attract more. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you say were the key differences between sort of social and corporate clients in terms of what attracts them to a venue? Mm, I think, number one, the venue has to want that sort of business. You have to know in your sort of sales and marketing strategy that you even want to deal with weddings because once you open that door, you need to be ready for it. What I tend to find quite a lot of the time is venues say, okay, you know, we've filled the weekdays with corporate and group, dependent if the venue's got accommodation or not. Obviously, group business is a massive driver with daytime delegates and then evening uh, group accommodation. But what they don't realise is, you know, then weekends are sat empty and unless you've got corporates coming out of London, if you like, on the outskirts, it's really difficult to get people out of yeah, London. So yeah, they don't they don't want to no, go. They I don't want to leave. <laughs> some of them don't want to even go like any further than bank. It's like, mad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So I think a lot of them then twig on and think, do you know what? Maybe this could be a win of the wedding market because yeah. you know them Saturdays and Sundays, they're always empty. <laughs> Let's fill them with weddings. You know, sometimes we have an afternoon tea, sometimes we have a birthday, but weddings are the bread and butter. And to be honest, for country estates outside of London, weddings are their main focus. They are the bread and butter. They are the ones that keep their teams in their jobs, you know, the kitchen ticking over um, and the room's full. Um, What I would say from a perspective of what you need as such, Mm -hmm. as you sort of ask to attract weddings compared to corporate, number one, as I say, you need to be ready for it. You have to have the right team in place. I come across so many venue managers, event managers, wedding planners, and they always say to me, I can't believe you work in weddings, like you must be mad. And I say to them, don't be scared of it, but be prepared to get the experience because it's a completely different beast. And I think that again comes down to the educational point where people don't regard maybe weddings as a profession. And actually, we are actually more upskilled sometimes than potentially people who are just running seminars because we're having to deal with emotion, we're having to deal with crisis management on a completely different scale and sometimes budget planning where it's people know the politics right of weddings. You've got mum, dad, mum paying, dad paying and we're a different culture and religion and creed and then we want to go to the Bahamas but they want to stay in you know Leeds. So you have to be ready for that and empathetic and sympathetic to that situation. So yeah, have the right team in place, be prepared to work with that sort of business you can definitely implement things to make your rooms look better, outdoor gazebos and licenses and really working with the best in the industry. You know, the first thing I've done coming into country venues, I've always first point of call, get yourself a budget off your director, <laughs> spend it wisely, um, <laughs> but get the right team in. So the right cake people, the right florists, get your dream team around you so you feel confident that if, you want to, if, if you're an independent hotelier and you think, do you know what, I'd really love weddings, you get that initial call from that bridegroom, groom, groom, bride, bride, be ready for it and be able to have that confidence to say, do you know what? I haven't run a wedding before, but I know what I'm doing because I've got a dream team of florists and suppliers and production. And then actually when it comes to the daytime, it all comes down to the event management. So there's things like the Event Academy, um, you know, there's all sorts of associations, the NAWP, that can help you in wedding planning um, or even give you that, you know, heads up of outdoor health and safety, risk assessment, um, you know, food, health and hygiene, all these things that maybe you wouldn't even consider. A lot of things what I get asked a lot of the time is, oh, we've, you know, we've we've done a corporate event. It seems like walk in the park. Now we're going to do a wedding. Like, what else do we need? Not, e- not even just what the room needs to look like. Your BEOs, your function sheets, your floor plans, everything is totally different. Your numbers, um, the suppliers you're working with are going to be slightly different. You know, the bands and potentially the production. And then also, you've got to think how you're billing it 
you've got to think about the accommodation. Where's everyone going to stay if you've only got 12 rooms and you've got 300 people coming? <laughs> yeah, do you do marquees? Do you not? So I think you just need to be prepared because I think a lot of people, sadly, open the door, take it on, but they're not ready for it. Yeah. And that's if you get a bad wedding review, you will never probably get another one again. So I think people rush into it. You just need to set yourself up properly get the right business but definitely if you are set up for success for weddings they will literally fill your diary for the weekends because the business is definitely there you touched on crisis management um yeah. a moment ago and um and differences i think there's there's a perception that um there is more of an emotional element to it than yeah. with some corporates would you say that was accurate or do you know what it's funny because every time i've worked with corporates actually i do a lot of um at work when we're doing um, our sales training we have it international people coming in and training us but we do these things every month where we basically just train each other and come up with ideas and you know for me the PAs the EAs you know the incredible um, event managers that are based in-house potentially you know banks or law firms or whoever we're working with as a client they're actually just as emotional sometimes as the bride and grooms because they're thinking god I've never been given an event before my CEO's just given me 50k to spend what do I do and actually I need to knock this out of the park you know this Christmas party because Everyone goes to parties every day and I need to make this amazing. So I think with any sort of sales strategy, you have to connect emotionally. But I think even more so with weddings, there comes a point of they're spending their own money. Yeah, They're spending money that their mum and dad have saved up their whole life to give them this dream wedding. And obviously that comes down to different cultures. You know, we see it, the different traditions of who pays, who doesn't, and is there a budget, is there not? You know, that's, <laughs> that's the whole um, soft topic of what's your budget? I haven't got one. Okay, we have. Okay, everyone's got a budget. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Um, But I'd say, I'd say there's definitely more emotion involved, only because we deal with these people usually more than a year and a lot can happen in a year you know sadly we've been in situations where parents have died um, you know grandparents have passed or uh, you know politics in the family which can really ruin the celebration so we're not just dealing with you know the the famous b word or um, companies restructuring and, and cutting budgets we're dealing with life situations that can make it super stressful and sad on the bride so my own ethos with my team is we have to create best friends with our client so actually how I sort of uh, have always pursued my wedding couples is I'm not uh, a wedding planner I'm not an event manager I'm not an event producer I'm like your chief um, you know sort of chief bridesmaid but I know what I'm doing for people that are younger and looking to get into it and looking Mm -hmm. to get that really top quality experience sort of have you got any tips for them you know I think again I think it's being realistic I speak with a lot of young people young people 28 (laughs) people at university that think do I go into events do I do this do I do that I think I think there is a perception because I meet loads of people who say oh your job must be an absolute dream and don't get me wrong it is weddings are so rewarding uh, well events in general you know the industry is something that we all work so hard but the results are so incredible because we get to the, see the results you know even last Saturday I don't usually go in on all the weddings but we had a really gorgeous family on Saturday um, and it was really really logistically you know complicated and I went in and it just takes you back where you can see everyone dancing and having fun and that's the reward you get out of it so I'd say to any young person be realistic in what this is I think People think it's full of flowers and cakes and we just sit there and do cake tastings all day. And the reality is we are event producers, you know, that do everything anyone else does 
in addition to that, we have the emotion and the wedding and the cutting of the cake. And there's so many additional elements to that event brief than, you know, delegates arriving, doing this and a conference and this and that. Um, so I think be realistic, get the right education. But then also there's nothing better than getting on the floor, hands-on experience. And I'd say to anyone wanting to get into the industry, be prepared to start from the bottom. You know, my first job, I wasn't running that first wedding I went to. I was lighting candles and sorting reindeers. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And then even then coming back to the UK, yeah, I was wedding planner for that first estate, but I was running it. I was selling it. I was running it. I was pretty much serving the food as well. You have to be prepared to be everything. You need. You can't look at, you know, the Preston Baileys of the world and the, and the Marcy Blooms and think that's what I want to be. Um, you can get there, of course you can, but you have to be prepared to put the hard work in. And honestly, the only reason why I, you know, even in my little humble position I'm in, um, the only reason where I am is because I've started from the bottom. Like honestly, yeah. my fingers of the amount of candles I've lit with dodgy lighters in hurricane vases honestly I could write a book <laughs> it's, it's the school of hard knocks yeah it is you know you've got to be ready to put the work in long hours loads of emotions um but yeah you'll definitely do it and there is there is positions out there that you can sort of work your way up uh in the industry I know you do a lot of mentoring would you say there are any trends in do you would you say uh young event professionals that you speak to that schools and things are, are leaning sort of one way or the other with weddings and corporate or do you know what? I think, it, it, it again, it's based on sort of gender, demographic, and also the perception of the industry. You can, you know, Instagram helps us, but it hinders us. People who even apply for um, some of the positions I've um, recruited for in the past always say, oh, weddings look dead fun, but actually corporate looks a bit boring. And actually, that's not always the case. You know, corporate business is easy to tick over. Um, it's repeat business. Weddings, yeah, they'll come back for an anniversary, but hopefully it's not going to happen again. You know, it's uh, the one time only. So I think there's definitely a, a, a change in the industry. What, what I'm concerned about, which I really hope isn't the case, is kind of like culinary with kitchens where people are kind of put off with the amount of hours you're doing. I just hope we're not going that way yeah. um, because the industry is saturated you know there's a lot of us doing it there's a lot of companies out there there's definitely the business there but I think there is a generational thing where you know millennials maybe aren't so susceptible to put that hard work in and I just hope that they are realistic with what the industry is and they see that if you if you look at the opportunities out there you might say I might start in weddings but then you end up running events for Cartier or going into the F1 and doing sport events so really depends what you want to get into but um they're definitely excited about it and they can definitely see the industry but that's why people like us need to keep spreading the word thank you so much for coming in sasha i know that our listeners are going to find those tips really useful and i really appreciate getting your take on the weddings so welcome thanks so much for having me and yeah all about the wedding world thanks thanks again to charlotte so much for coming in to talk to us more about weddings next up i sit down with ben for inside the showcase As event professionals, we receive a huge amount of invites to loads of amazing showcases every month. But unfortunately, there just aren't enough days in the week to go to them all. So what we'd like to bring to you is just uh, some highlights. And so we've got um, a guest coming on um, to tell us about his favourite showcase um, from the last month. So this week, our guest is Ben Parker, venue expert, socialite, Instagrammer and uh, all-round showcase aficionado. So uh, welcome, Ben. Lovely to have you. Hello. Thanks for such a lovely intro. Aren't you the uh, the proud owner of the venue expert, no numbers, no capital letters, Instagram handle? 
I have indeed. I really don't know how I was fortunate enough to get that one, but that is my job title. Um, shortly after getting that job title, I found the handle and I am never letting go of that Got one. in there early, quick. That's yours now forever. Just to give our listeners sort of a bit of an idea, how many showcases do you say you've been to just this year so far? So that's a very tough question. It, it's a lot. Counting breakfast, showcases, lunches, dinners, weekend things. Probably around 70, but that is a big guess. <laughs> that is a lot of showcases. Um, um, so, you had a showcase that you really wanted to tell us all about. Yeah, absolutely. So, you asked for my, my kind of the best showcase I've been to uh, recently. It's such a tough question, but um, what I would say is it's a showcase I went to hosted by the Switzerland uh, Convention and Incentive Bureau. They're, they're almost like a tourism body, um, mm-hmm. however, they're, they're for the event industry. So okay, basically, yeah. they, they promote Switzerland as an event destination. Oh, wow. So this must have been, an, if it's promoting a whole country, this must have been an impressive showcase then, yeah. It really was, yeah. There was so much information to take in, and, and I, I did think, how, how am I going to kind of take any of this in? And I learned so much, but yeah, it was just so varied. It, it was great. What I think made it stand out, um, along with the, the fun that I had on the evening, was the the format of the event. Um, so the event was set out almost like a speed dating event. Okay, uh, yeah. Without the awkwardness, though. So what, what was it like? It wasn't it wasn't embarrassing. It was quite fun to do. Yeah, it, it was great. So usually at these kind of events, you don't get to speak to everyone. With this, you, you did because it was a, kind of the format where you go from one place to another in a few minutes. Uh, I found it really fun because it, it was timed, um, so you didn't have to kind of stand around and make small talk for ages. However, at, at the same time, there was enough time to kind of learn what you needed to. So when you were going around the speed dating, what were the people that you were talking to? So were they like other event organisers or were they um, part of the uh, the bureau? So they're all different suppliers in the event industry in Switzerland. Okay. Uh, it was really varied. So I was talking to airlines, um, hotels, um, smaller kind of convention bureaus for specific areas within Switzerland, event suppliers, caterers, literally I'd anything. I say everything, yeah. Of. Was there a sort of a party element to the evening as well? There was uh, that. That was the fun part. So, okay. so you got the business out of the way first. So, so you did the uh, the kind of speed dating, kind of networking, um, and then after that, there was a live band. Um, but the the part the the reason why I love the event, so the the reason why I love the event so much, I think, and I enjoyed it so much, is it was themed. Um, okay, what was the theme? Back to the Future. <laughs> Excellent. It was mainly all free for the film, so kind of they had little different props all around, kind of like the hoverboard and things like that. Do we that. have the DeLorean? Come on. Do we have... We didn't, oh, no. Oh, didn't have the DeLorean. Oh, never mind. It was, in, it was in a sky bar, so I'm not sure how they would get that kind <laughs> yeah, of up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, need a crane or something. Definitely can't go back in time and just jump up there. Sorry, that was a... <laughs> got too carried away with the idea. <laughs> and what, what would you say it was sort of like the one thing that you like would have, would have been very sorry to miss if you hadn't gone? To be honest... I think it's just the, the the information that I kind of absorbed and what what I learned because um, I didn't realise that Switzerland was such a, a good destination for events and I think if I didn't attend that event it wouldn't be you know a country that I I would think of for my events unless it was kind of a, a skiing incentive trip or something like okay, that. Okay, yeah, fantastic, Ben. Thank you so much. I really hope we could do this feature again and hear about some of the more of the showcases that you do. I hope you'd be happy to come back. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's been a great first time and hopefully I can come back. And that is our show this week. I'll mention again that while you're waiting for more information on Event Lab 2020, which we're still eagerly awaiting, 
You can find out more information about the smaller events that Event Lab run throughout the year at eventlab underscore online. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher and all the other podcasting apps that you use. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore online. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>